Hello and welcome everybody. This is the first joint radio program and podcast of IBGR and the StartupRadio.io podcast with its radio station Startup.radio. You may know IBGR and Startup.radio are syndication partners almost from the start of Startup.radio. Therefore, welcome William Eastman, founder of the IBGR network that everybody calls Bill. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great, Joe. I appreciate that. And by the way, for the U.S., I've been trying to call him Yarn, but he's going, it's Joe. So I, that's an easy one for an American. Yes, Joe. <laughs> yeah, so I greatly enjoy our partnership because we overlap and we do some things that are the same, but approach it differently. And then there's many things that we each do individually, and it's collectively that it's a, it's a powerful one-two punch in terms of you want news about startups, whether it's high tech, Europe-based, or you're looking more global and what are the trends, we have it here. Exactly. This time we get together to discuss uh, what I may call a monster. It's from the VC firm Atomico and they call it the State of European Tech. It's an annual survey of startups all over Europe taking place annually since 2015. The survey may be the most comprehensive repeated overview of the European startup and tech scene there is. And this survey is a joint endeavor by Atomico, a London-based VC and PE fund, as well as the annual Slush Tech Festival in Helsinki. And guys, a tech festival has to be good if it can lure people to freezing cold Helsinki in early December. They also add data from providers like SP and Dealroom into the mix. By the way, StartupRate.io had the Dealroom founder in an interview. And you know what's interesting? He worked in New York City and was an MA investment banker in Lehman Brothers when they broke down. And he has been one of the many people you saw him carry out his belongings after they broke down and shut down. Wow. I do remember those days. I wasn't in New York, but boy, that was pretty ugly. Mm -hmm. Bill, we will be just starting here. It's a few discussion points. I was looking through and there are more than 350 pages in this report. So we cannot cover everything and everybody will have different highlights. But bottom line is we give you some hints what is in there. We link the show notes in the podcast here in the episodes and uh, you can get all the information from there. I would say the whole continental ecosystem all over Europe has been lacking behind the US and China for quite some time. It looks like they have started to catch up in a big way, despite Corona. We see this in increases in number of investors, startups, fundings, number and size, and the increase in the unicorn and decacorn herds for everybody who's not familiar with the terms. Unicorn is a privately held company that is valued at investing. So that means a VC has to evaluate a company and say, for example, this company is worth 1 billion US dollar. And if I want to buy 20% of the equity, I have to spend 200 million. And the same holds true for Decacorn, but they are valued at 10 billion US dollars and plus. The authors of the survey see a potential for the whole ecosystem 
that is now worth three trillion. Yes, trillion with a T US dollars. And it could be worth up to 24 trillion US dollars. Yes, again, trillion with a T in 2030. I found this pretty impressive. What do you think? Oh, that is incredibly impressive because when you consider that as of right now, if we take the three trillion and uh, US dollars, the world economy is approximately 70 trillion GDP. And so in 2030, I don't know what the estimate of the world's economy is going to be, but look at what the percentage is going to be. It's going to go from, you know, three divided into 70 into 24, maybe divided into 80. And so it's a huge, huge increase here. And I think what that is saying is that the estimates are is that businesses that existed or doing business as we used to do business is done with, is that there's going to be a revolution in business. And yeah, companies like Mercedes-Benz are still going to be here, maybe an IBM, but for the most part, almost all the old players are gone and who are the replacements? Exactly. It's something we have seen here. Just picking one popular example, N26, they are what they call a neobank. They basically provide all the banking services you only can call them and you can use the services on your computer, but it's mostly designed for an app. And they have a higher valuation than Germany's second largest listing bank called Commerzbank. That's huge. And I, you know, I know we're going to get into that because one of the things that I know from US banking is though that we're not obligated to follow Basel rules. And now you've got Basel 4 or Basel 4 to be implemented by 2023. Those standards that the EU is setting are now becoming global standards. We may take a detour here. Everybody who is a frequent listener to my episodes know that I am the lord of detours, so to say. And basically, do you know why it's called Basel, Basel rules? No, I don't. The BIS, the Bank for International Settlement, is actually located in Basel. And this is something like the central bank of the central banks. It was originally built to handle the war repayments from Germany after the First World War, but developed into something like the central meeting and gathering place for all the central banks. That's why it's called the Basel Rules. And basically, what they are doing is they give the bank rules on how much equity has to be behind every credit. And when they started out, it was 8%, but uh, sometimes it can go up up to 20, 30, 50%. And if you see the interest rates, banks have to pay on that the dividends expected by investors. You can pretty fast see that not all the loans they can hand out are really economically viable and that's something there the business owners the small business owners also the big business owners without access to capital markets will feel a big impact there so basically that are the rules and as always when you have like european or global rules there'll be some twists on them in in local regulation it's just Sorry, I may get a little bit too deep into that, but basically I've been working there in this field and basically it makes already a big difference when, for example, the German regulator issues a different circular for like handling the nitty-gritty details on the Basel rules than, for example, the French regulator or the Luxembourg regulator. 
and that makes small but noticeable differences there. I know we're going to get into the one of the growth areas in uh, the EU is in fintech, and I really got to think that it's part of this relationship. Maybe what we've seen so far is that a lot of the traders and brokers following what you know in the US as Robinhood, the Robinhood model, basically your trades are for free or almost for free, but the company that is doing it, they call it a new broker, is getting paid to route the deal flow towards uh, certain venues. And that's basically how they are financing themselves. It's actually so attractive that the Unicorn Trade Republic was coined on the base of that in Austria and Vienna. There's also a company in your broker, Bitpanda. They also became unicorn. But they're, as you can already guess, a little bit more into cryptocurrencies. And N26 also wants to start all of that. Just received funding, something around 900 million US dollars in one funding round. Plus, they made a second closing, but they did not disclose the money they have raised there. And there's, of course, also scalable capital in Munich. They've been originally robber advisor, but move more and more into this neo broker business model as well. And that's why we've seen a big growth. But it may be under threat because my understanding is that US regulators as well as European regulators are working on either limiting or completely limiting the option to pay for order flow. So the business model may be under threat. We blocked about that. But let us get a little bit back into Atomico. We already took two detours <laughs> T talking about top five hubs. So the places should be known to you, of course, London. I do believe in the US, you read a lot about uh, London and London startups. Berlin, yes, you do. Stockholm, not so much, but you may know Spotify. Munich is an important place as home of Germany's only Decacorn, Salonis, and of course, Paris. But there's already change on the horizon. And also Vienna takes one of the top 20 spots in this survey. What I also found interesting is that more than 100 billion US dollars have been invested in a single year for the first time. They basically made the survey based on the year ending end of September. So it's likely that it could have even been more than 120 billion US dollar in total. But the head of the German startup association laments that the investment gains there accumulated outside of Europe. A lot of international investors are really big in creating, coining those unicorns. What comes to mind is Tencent from China, SoftBank from uh, Japan, or uh, Tiger Global and other players that are usually the lead investors when a company becomes a unicorn. Yeah, and you know, I know we're going to talk about it just a little bit. It's not part of the study, but uh, the amount of money that's going into India and Africa, uh, especially from fintech, is enormous. And I think one of the conversations I'd like to have with you for our listeners is there seems to be an upcoming battle between government money and private money, which is really one of the bases behind crypto. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So in Germany, I can tell you they're trying to assist or kickstart private money with uh, public money. For example, Europe's most active seed investor is a German 
government-owned entity called Hightech Gründerfonds, HTGF. And I had the very interesting CEO of this entity there. And basically what they're doing, they raise their funds. 50% are coming from public purses and 50% from private companies. And there's everything in it that has a household name. You talked about it, Bosch, uh, Siemens, uh, Deutsche Bahn, and so on and so forth. So basically that's what they're trying right now. What are you referring to? What I've been seeing is uh, that there's been a sizable investment going into Nigeria and into uh, Kenya. And one of the underlying stories behind that is that 70% of Africa does not bank. Only 30% of the people in Africa have bank accounts. And, and there's a multiple reasons. One of the reasons is that the banks are very difficult to do business with. Even if you put money in, your ability to get loans, et cetera. But a lot of people are engaged in strictly peer-to-peer transactions. And the beauty of crypto blockchain in that whole fintech arena is that now if I'm doing business in Nairobi and I'm doing business in Nairobi, okay, I can use money. But if I'm doing business in Lagos from Nairobi, how do I do that? And so the hotbed right now is Kenya and uh, Nigeria to a lesser degree, Egypt and South Africa, all getting involved in crypto so that Africa can do business with each other. And, you know, crypto is going to be private money. So a Nigerian government just responded by trying to outlaw crypto. So we'll see where it's going. But I think a lot of governments are going to be threatened by the fact that, you know, you and I, you know, Joe, you and I, you, we can do business with our own currencies and they don't know what we're doing. And so I, one of the reasons I had seen a lot of startups coming in Deutschland was around how to help crypto companies meet banking regulations, which I thought was very interesting. I actually had a very interesting conversation with an interview guest on that just recently. Uh, we talked a lot about the digital euro and uh, stable coins, and I exactly know how you feel, but especially like international transfers, it's very, very cumbersome, time-intensive. And it, it frequently happens that something goes wrong and then you have to look for your money. So I totally understand that this makes it easier. Basically, you know how money is transferred. So you have correspondent banks and basically they keep accounts and they send each other money back and forth saying this is, the and this is for this client, this is for this client, this is for that client. Or they use Swift, which is only a messaging service built in Belgium, and basically they send you a message, this money will be coming, but most banks, they'll just wait until the money is there, until they pay it out. So no speed gains there. Yeah, and it's, um, you know, that's one of the reasons that a uh, Central American country, uh, El Salvador, is going to Bitcoin as the alternative currency, because there's a lot of El Salvadorians who work in the United States who are remitting their salaries back to their families in El Salvador, and about 10, 15% of that money is being lost in transaction costs. Now we're going mm -hmm. with Bitcoin because the El Salvadorian government's going, that's money we could have, as opposed to giving it to Western Union or SWIFT or sort of verification service. So I haven't read a story on the battle between government money and private money, but almost every one of these stories, you could see it below the surface if you read between the lines. And so it's going to prove to be interesting. My guess is the people who want to be the governments that want to turn uh, their currency into crypto. The European model is the one they're going to follow. There's not a lot I have to add there. So I would just go back to my prepared talking points. 
And what I want to say is that even uh, Christian Miller, yes, from the company that makes also from the family that also owns the company that makes the household appliances, he said most investment gains are accumulated outside of Europe, but only with international investors, you can have those like effects of tripling the invested money in a single year. What I had in mind were companies where international investors played a big role. Klarna, Spotify, and 26 Salonis, not so much bio and tech, but they are a very special case here. They are the company behind the Pfizer vaccine, and uh, they have been a smashing success to a degree that their growth made all of Germany, the GDP, grow by 0.5% more than without them. Well, that's considerable. Oh, yeah. And what is also interesting, uh, they are based not too far away from Frankfurt in my native city in Mainz, where I was born. And the city, of course, they have been like a place where they always had to look for the money, but now they are flooded with tax money from BioNTech. And I think uh, 100, 150 million was their annual budget usually. And now they've been flooded with for one year with 700 million additional income. And so they first want to pay down debt. I think they'll achieve this pretty soon. And then they want to make the city very attractive for biotech, medtech, and startups related to this and become a global hub there. That would be an interesting story. I have an interview request out with those people talking to somebody in charge what they are planning. That would be a very interesting conversation. Yeah, because I'm, I'm, I'm sure we'll be carrying that story uh, on IBGR as well. Yes, of course, of course. Oh, one more thing. The uh, Strüngmann brothers, they are very much not in the public light. They are the only twin self-made billionaires in the world. And they're, they're very much shying away from the spotlight, but they have been extremely important in making BioNTech a success. At the point of the IPO, they mo own more than 50%. And we have a profile of those twins on our website, of course, link in the show notes. But usually the fintech investment has led the charge rising by 159% with a total of investment of nearly 15 billion. As I said, what comes to mind are the new brokers, Trade Republic, N26, Scalable Capital, and so forth. Good news for the startups investors raised record capital so there is a large competition for the best deals atomico expects to see more international capital flows even increasing the competition in 2022 also what i found interesting one in three private tech companies are fintech companies including four in the 10 tech companies in europe with the highest valuation and in 2021 is the year of the mega rounds with over 150 investment rounds where they invested more than 100 million US dollars. And actually, I have to tell you that that is something that really wowed me for the very simple reason that they used to be really big investments when I started out as a startup podcaster and they've been like, three, five million. And now we have this monster funding, for example, with Trade Republic, with N26, hundreds of millions. That's totally on another level there. Yeah. And it's if you haven't been watching the, where venture capital is going, you just don't understand how big fintech is, financial technology, which is covers a lot of areas. 
the biggest one and one of the reasons that a lot of banks are jumping on this is that most of all of their labor costs are in transaction monitoring. And so with fintech slash blockchain, they're going to be reducing their labor costs by a considerable amount. So these these investments, in their mind, are going to produce great returns uh, for the banking institutions. We may give the audience a little bit background there, because what you're talking about, basically, they have to check all the regulations, meaning money laundry, political exposed people, PEPs, embargoes, and all that stuff which is not an easy thing. I once read The Economist and they said just the family name of Mubarak can be spelled in 40 different ways. So they have an engine where all the transactions run through and then they have like a whole floor of analysts that have to deal with everything that comes out there and, and flag it or say, no, it's okay. So that's what William is referring to, including like the increasing rules on almost everything. Embargo here, embargo there, money laundry, politically exposed people, it's a lot to do. And actually, I don't envy the people who have to do that every day. <laughs> I don't either. Yeah. The physical location, Atomico says, is also increasingly losing its importance, maybe for outlets like us that try to give you a complete overview, but it's still important who you know. What I found really interesting, there was even uh, a really good piece by CB Insights, the, the research house. 2021 saw 98 new unicorns and 26 new decacorns. The B2B unicorns take over B2C unicorns. Before that, it was what you've noticed in the US, for example, HelloFresh, a rocket internet copycat of Blue Apron, for example, is just one example of the early B2C successes here. But now B2B is really taking on speed here. And we just talked about the three trillion US dollars for the whole ecosystem. And that is up from just one trillion in 2018. So it has tripled. In something like three years, it's, it's really incredible how this is going. The investments, talking about 2022, could also triple from 100 to 300 billion US dollars. And the investment growth 2021 was largely triggered by bigger rounds. And they are talking about investment rounds of 250 million plus which grew by a factor of 10 in the last 12 months, and they now represent 40% of the total capital invested in Europe. That is good on the one side, but actually I also feel it's bad on the other side because that means there's a lot of venture capital, but it only goes to a few companies. And if companies like Uber have proven something, it is that if you're successful in raising venture capital, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can build a successful long-term business model, right? No, that is so correct. In fact, I think a lot of people, you know, when you hit me with the 98 new unicorns, that's an incredible number. And you're a startup business. We're a startup business. My fifth startup. The idea that you can grow a company to a billion dollars and not be publicly traded is almost unfathomable. I mean, the difficulty of doing that and the fact that that money is out there, I would say to any business owner out there, if you have an idea that can attract venture capital, the next year or so is the time to get in it. The money's going to be there because it's now hunting for opportunities. In the past, startups were looking for venture capital and it was kind of like, 
it was the venture capital market. You know, you come to me and I'll decide whether you've got business worth investing in. Now, what we're seeing is the venture capital are running around the world going, hey, I have some money. Do you have an idea? I wish they would knock on my door. <laughs> well, we're going to take care of that in 2022. I take your word for it. What comes to mind are some of the quick delivery startups here in Germany. In some cases, they did not need nine months from getting really started with the business until becoming a unicorn. That is some of them, uh, Joker, for example, I have uh, from the top of my mind, I think they needed something like seven months to become a unicorn. I would have to look up the numbers exactly, but it was well below a year. Seven months. That's unbelievable. Yeah. That's just unbelievable. After building five companies, that's unbelievable. <laughs> Getting a little bit back to the survey, Germany alone had 37 funding rounds of more than 100 million US dollars. The UK, 68. France, 23. Bill, did you notice something? Italy is missing. Spain is missing. Portugal is missing. So there's still a lot of potential here. And never forget uh, Eastern European countries, Poland, Slovenia, Slovakia, uh, Romania. They also have a lot of very, very smart people. The largest four rounds rate. I would definitely think the Czech Republic should be a dominant player in here because of the intellectual capital that country has. Oh, yeah. They, they have a lot of very smart people there. And I do believe in a few years we will talk about them. Out of the top 10 largest rounds they found, four of them are from Germany. Celonis, the process mining company that is the only Decacorn, Gorillas, 10-minute delivery, and 26, the new bank, and Trade Republic, the new broker. Also, from the 20 largest exits they found, four of them came from Germany, including Auto One, which at the IPO coined the first new tech billionaires in Germany for, I do believe, 20 or more years. Unfortunately, they have not, their share price has not been doing great, but that is something we have seen in other companies as well. Uh, there were times when Amazon and Twitter and Facebook were not very popular on the capital markets. We talked in our news about the buyout of Sue Plus. As you can already guess, it's an online shop for pet supplies and it was bought out. There was really a bidding war between three different private equity companies. Lilium found a new home at NASDAQ and they are looking at uh, flying taxis, flying cabs with a SPAC deal. And Helmsold was taken over an IT company and in total, they found exits worth of 275 billion. Yes, again with a B, US dollars. That's a lot of money to be reinvested in startups. <laughs> it is a lot of money to be re reinvested in startups. Talking about reinvestments, Atomico also states that Europe now has a startup pipeline equal to the US even though we're not there in terms of funding. And the US has only 2% lead in global capital invested over Europe. And they even say that early stage funding in Europe is improving at the expense of the US. Yeah, I, the, the comment I would add to that, because I think that is a correct sure. statement, but it's also is that we've been throwing money around in the United States. And I think what's happened is that the quality of the startups have decreased. You know, it was the analogy I used before is that there used to be you went to them and they would decide whether they were going to do business with you. Now they're coming to you. 
And so the European market, the African market, the Indian market, I'm going to stay out of China because I don't have to be honest, I don't pay a lot of attention to China because I don't think the future of the world's economy is in China because of all of their systemic issues. I think India is the play, but that's just kind of my opinion. But I think what's happening here is that now Europe is enjoying the heyday because American businesses, venture capitalists looking for great deals, and Europe has got a lot of them. I think in the US, we've kind of exploited most of the really good deals, the ones that make sense. And this got back to my comment before about the cryptocurrency and blockchain, is that if you think the future is going to be in government cryptocurrency, government digital currency, then European and startups is the place to invest because they're going to play by those rules because you have them. On the other hand, if your bet is, oh no, we're going to go, it's going to be the wild, wild west, your money's going to Nairobi or Lagos. I was actually talking uh, to Philip Zandner on this issue. And we've been talking about that there is a lot of stable or so to say, relatively speaking, a lot of stable coins in US dollars, and there is not a lot in euros. And that's all due to the negative interest rate. Because when you are a US dollar stable coin, basically you put the money in the account and it would generate interest. If you're a European EU stable coin company that provides stable euro as crypto, Basically, you will lose money just by having the money in the bank account. Yes. And I think that um, this is what we tell our listeners uh, to the people that we're getting, who are thinking about getting into crypto is separate transactions from investments. Is that how to invest if crypto is your investment? I don't have any advice. One, I don't want to do that because I'll, I'll wind up in jail. But number two, <laughs> I don't have the expertise. But the answer is going to be, if you can't take crypto in a transaction, then you're basically going to lose 10 to 15% of your sales in 2022 and going forward, because more and more of the world's going to do business there. So I always thought that the issue was more of around Basel and the banking regulations in Europe to get that right, because it's far more complicated as the United States is. It's not as complicated as the EU market is. So I always thought that that was the reason that it was kind of lagging. That's why I was paying attention. And I wish I'd written them down. One of them, I believe it's a unicorn now, German company, that all it's doing is providing blockchain technology so that you can comply with all the law and have crypto that's European-based. I wouldn't know from the top of my mind what company you're describing, but I'm sure there, there are more than one around helping with that. Yeah, I, I think I can't remember. It was about a month ago. And for everybody that's listening, we both, both of our networks do news. And I look at general trending news and I came across this story about three weeks ago. And I wish I wrote down the name. I think they're actually supported out of England. I think they're getting Monday, uh, money from London and not from uh, inside the EU. So I also thought that was curious. That's not too uncommon. We talked about uh, one of the investment companies that is backing a lot of fintechs in Germany. And actually, it turned out one of the most important investors in those funds is Michael Bloomberg. Ooh, yeah. yeah, well, you know, it, he's not one of my favorite people, but he's got to watch because he definitely uh, understands uh, what's going on around the world because he's got this mega organization. He's got plenty of researchers. If they're paying attention to something, pay attention to it. Uh, he may be the best informed person in the world. 
I would, I would not bet against that. <laughs> I mean, what, what, what are they? They are a market and financial research company, period. Their news function is they're selling the data that they collect. Exactly. Plus, they also have some options for trading within their terminal. So they also have marketplaces where they can see the generation of prices in real time, the forming of prices. Yep. Well, and also, I'm sure that what they're doing is they're also tracking all the major players so they know they know the transactions that are coming. And also, they can do forensic accounting in terms of they can go backwards, go, if Berkshire Hathaway, for example, is moving this direction into a market, they can work backwards to go, well, here are the reasons why they're doing it. So they don't have to be privy to the research that uh, Berkshire did, but they can go, okay, this has got to be the reason behind it. This whole thing about building data management platforms and AI and machine learning is a whole different topic we ought to do sometime. Yes. Actually, great words. I am already done with my highlights from the Tomico survey. As I said, more than 350 pages. We link to uh, down here in the show notes to this monster of a report. Plus, I've also seen a venture capital survey by the European Investment Fund, which I will also link down here. That is the main investment entity that is the LP, meaning the investor of many VC funds. And the link will straight open a PDF. And I think I'll also share the article about Michael Bloomberg and the Strungman brothers here in the show notes. Bill, when they're listening to IBGR, where can they find them? What, the show notes? Yes. We have a page dedicated to show notes. We have over 2,500 pages of show notes. You go to the website, IBGR.network. You'll find four tabs on the navigation bar, mouse over resources. You'll see show notes. Click it. And then once you're there, there's a search bar. Put in the terms that you'd like to look for. And uh, the difference between us and searching on Google is that we don't have any clickbait. It's all information from multiple sources like Joe, like myself, like his team, my team. And we all have different perspectives on the data. So you'll get multiple opinions on the same topic. Yes, exactly. And I think it's it's pretty safe uh, when you either put in uh, Atomico Survey or European Investment Fund that you'll find our show notes here. Right. And in and fact, I'll put the survey in there, but that was something I'll do today. Yeah. And for everybody who's uh, listening to this on startup.radio, uh, go to www.startuprate.io and there uh, just look for Atomico Survey blog post. And my concluding thought here is this, is that if you want the best hour of business news that you can get, better than Bloomberg, better than Wall Street Journal, better than uh, Financial Times, you catch 30 minutes from Startup Radio or StartupRad.io, and then at the bottom of the hour, 30 minutes from IBGR.news, and you'll have the best hour of business news every day. Exactly. There's nothing more I have to add here. So thank you very much, Bill. It was a pleasure talking to you. And hopefully we can repeat this pretty soon. I'm looking forward to it. Again, I greatly appreciate you asking us to be on. And I love these opportunities for us to work together and put our heads together because we have very different perspectives and it's interesting. I love hearing your shows because I listen to all of your new shows I listen to because I'm on after you and I'm going, what is he covering that I don't have to cover? Yes. Thank you very much. I also try my best to listen to all of your news. 
and of course to IBGR and Startup.Radio, especially since I do have a lot of podcasters on my radio station that I don't know yet so well. So basically, I also listen to it in order to discover something new. Okay. Well, thank you, my friend. Thank you. Guys, have a good day and tune in again in the next collaboration between Startup.Radio and the IBGR network. Have a great business day.